0: Hey, this is Alex Moore, lead pastor of New Life Community Church in Kansas City, Missouri. Thanks for taking time to listen to this message. For more information or to donate, visit newlifekc.com. My name is Pastor Alex, and we are wrapping up our series called To My Friend Who Left the Faith. And I want to start with this question today. Have you ever had someone try to oversell you something? You guys ever had that? It seems like every time I'm offered an extended warranty, I am being oversold on something. It doesn't matter if it's a new car or I just bought a new appliance for my house. They're like, hey, listen, you need to probably think about buying the extended warranty. And I'm like, isn't this a quality you know, item that I'm buying? They're like, Sure but it's going to fall apart on you, and you're going to spend lots of money on it, and you need the extended. And I always feel like I'm being oversold on, on extended warranties every time. Uh, some of you are like, I love extended warranties. All right. I've also been oversold on restaurants. How many of you have been oversold on a restaurant? Like you're hanging out, you're talking to your friends, and they're like, let me tell you about the best place I've ever eaten food in my life. And you're like, what is it? I want to know. And they tell you, and you're like, this is going to be so incredible. And then you get like childcare, and you set up a date, and you go there, and it absolutely under delivers. It is not what they hyped it up to be. And I know some of you are like Kansas City people. So, some of you're going to like some of these places and some of you aren't but we're going there i kept hearing about this place but i just wasn't that taken with arthur bryant's so i don't know what is up some of you i know we're going to divide the room in a hurry gates barbecue another i'm like i don't know you know i just say uh there's strouds there's in a tub how many in a tub fans do we have Let's go powdered cheese on the tacos. Come on. Uh, We've got different places. You hear about them. Whataburger showed up. And some of you are like, yeah, I like Whataburger. Some of you are like, Patrick Mahomes has let me down for the first time. What is going on? I don't know, but... Every now and then we find ourselves being oversold on things. Like what it's hyped up to be doesn't end up being what it is. There's there's all of this expectation and anticipation, and then you show up and and you know what you feel? Number one, you feel disappointed. Everybody say disappointed. Yeah, it's so sad. You're so you're hoping. And, and then you know what you feel? You feel frustrated. Everybody say frustrated. I believe this is gonna be the best meal of my life, and it's not. I drove by better restaurants to get here. I'm frustrated, and it costs more money than it should have. I'm frustrated, and, and you know what I finally am? Everybody say, I'm disillusioned. 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 I had a picture in my head. I believed what it was going to be, and when I got here, it wasn't what I thought. As we're wrapping up this series to my friend who left the faith, I think that we need to confess that there are people who are overselling Christianity. And you say, is that even possible? Can you oversell Christianity? And I I say that you can. And, And it's this wild thing because the good news of being a Christian is almost too good to believe. Right? You understand that God created humanity and He gave them everything they needed. He put them in this garden. He gave them things to do. It was going to be perfect. It was the perfect utopian society. Everything they needed was there. They had love. They had food. They had anything they needed. They didn't have covering, but they had anything that they needed. (laughs) And what God said was, listen, this is going to work out great, but I want to know that you trust me. I want to know that you believe that I'm God, so I'm going to place a tree here. Just don't eat off of this one tree. Okay, because if you get off this one tree, it means that you think that you are God and that you know everything, but you don't. I just made you, and and the best way for us to work here is for you to recognize that I'm God and that you're not, and when you do, I will give you everything I have. I will take care of you, and do you know what we as humanity did? We said, no, and we went and ate off the tree. We don't want to recognize your God. We want to be God in our own life. And ever since then to now, we have just kind of lived with a little fist raised to God saying, I'll do what I want. Thank you very much for life. Thanks for breathing into me. But I'm going to do what I want. And in spite of our rebellious, ugly nature, giving God the bird, God chose to love us. He chose to send his one and only son, Jesus, to die on a cross to forgive us of this sin that we've had against him and to restore us back to his original intention. That, my friends, is really good news. And we don't deserve that. We were sinners, and he still cared for us. We did everything to say, we don't want anything to do with you. And he said, I still love you, and I have a better plan for you. That is the good news. But somehow or another, people say, Well, I know that's good news, but let's let's upsell it a little bit. Let's add to it. That's good, but but we need to put some additional things in there. And so I think sometimes what happens is we begin to hear that Christianity is oversold. That like if you just trust Jesus, then then your marriage will be rock solid. Oh, I I, I didn't know that. Okay. You're upselling me. This is so good. Oh, if you just trust Jesus, God will bless you and take care of all of your finances. Now, I would like for that to be true. Uh, There's upsells. Um, Hey, if you just trust Jesus, your children, they will change from being little demons to little saints. If you just trust Jesus, God will heal your body. You will not have to worry about any pain or suffering. That depression will go away. If you just trust Jesus if you just trust Jesus, God will make your life easy. And all of that is the upsell. All of that is us trying to convince people that there's something extra beyond God's salvation that we need. And it's empty promises. And I believe this, I believe God can do anything. Can God heal your body? Can God uh, defend your marriage? Can God help you as a parent? Yes. But when we move to the place of presuming that God's gonna do things he never said he's gonna do, We're moving into a place that we shouldn't be. And we're beginning to be upsold, and we feel the same way as we do when we go to that restaurant. That when I believe something to be true about God that doesn't end up being true about God, then I'm disappointed. And when my marriage falls apart, and my kid does what he does, and my body's not healed, now I'm frustrated. Because I put all my hope in this, and it's not paying off. And at the end of the day, I find myself disillusioned. I had created in my head a picture of what it meant to be a Christ follower and the blessings and benefits that it came with, and it's not actually turning out to be that way. And I think that we have to be honest about the fact that that is where some of us find ourselves, that we were upsold on some things that we thought were true about Christianity that just weren't. And I think to some degree, we believe that following Jesus was like receiving hakuna matata. What a wonderful phrase. Do you know what it means? It means no worries for the rest of your days, because it's a problem-free philosophy. Hakuna matata. Yeah, yeah, we all, we love the Lion King. It's so good. Little Timon and Pumbaa. But somehow or another, we think that this problem-free philosophy, no worries for the rest of your days, that that's what we get when we follow Jesus. But that's not what we get when we follow Jesus. Some of you are like, no, you're popping the bubble. I had this. I want you to know what reality is. See, Jesus said this in John chapter 16, verse 33. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. I mean, that's pretty good. God is offering us peace, and it's found in him. But then he says, in this world, you will have trouble. Oh, I just wanted the peace. Can we get the peace without the trouble? Can I do this like the old golden corral buffet? Can I get a little bit of peace, and I'm just going to pass on the trouble? And Jesus is like, no, in me there's peace, and you're going to need that because in this world, you're going to have some troubles. Hey, but don't get discouraged about it. He says, take heart, take heart, because I've overcome the world. No matter how bad whatever it is that you think you're going through is, listen, God is still bigger. He's still in charge. And at the end of the day, it's always better to be with him than without him. So take peace. It's found in him. So this idea that sometimes we get in our head about church isn't always accurate. And I think that youth groups and churches are somewhat to blame because youth groups and churches don't always introduce people to the difficulties of our faith. Sometimes it's always just about how good it's going to be. Just wait and see. And we never talk about the challenges and the hard things that come with trying to follow Jesus in a broken world. I don't know when we got the idea that Jesus was somehow going to be a snowplow in our life. We sometimes believe this. Oh, I've embraced Jesus, and it's like he's a snowplow in front of me, and he is removing all the obstacles and all the deep snow. And if it's bad, he's casting it aside, and he's making a path for me that will be smooth and easy sailing. Jesus isn't a snowplow. Jesus has just promised to walk beside you through the snow, through the struggles through the troubles of this world. And what he says is, listen, if you will just rely on me, I'll give you peace in the midst of your storm. I'm not here to eliminate the storms. I will one day. I'll come back and I'll make the whole world right, but not yet. And so right now, the promise I have for you is that I will walk with you. And in fact, whatever it is that you go through, no matter how bad it may seem, I can cause it to work for your good. That's the promise of Romans 8.18 or 8.28. What What a great promise. Got a random question for you. Does anybody remember the 1990s movie Biodome? Anybody remember that? Okay, it's gone down as one of the worst movies of all time. So if you didn't see it, you didn't miss out on much. Um, How many of you guys remember Pauly Shore? Any of you Pauly Shore fans? Encino Man, come on, in the Army. All right, so Pauly Shore was in it, Stephen Baldwin was in it, and it was a really kind of dumb movie, but I kind of liked it, and I watched it as a kid, and I I like Dumb and Dumber too, so I don't know what that says about me, but we're just being honest here. Anyway, in the movie, you have these two guys, and they end up in this like ecosystem. It was a biodome. It was this dome, and they were getting ready to put scientists in it for a full year that were going to study these tests, and these guys were looking for a bathroom, and they thought that that was the mall, and so they ended up getting locked in there for a year. I know it's a really poor plot line, but that was the movie in, in essence. Um, what I came to find out was that the movie was actually based upon a real-life biodome that they built in Arizona, and it was called Biosphere 2. And what they were trying to do is they wanted to have all of this research to figure out if we ever went to outer space, is it possible for us to create a dome and to recreate life and to have a life ecosystem that would work um, outside of Biosphere 1, which is the Earth. And so what they did is they tried to imitate so many things that we had um, in Earth. So they had like rainforest in there. They had a a desert. They had wetlands. They had ocean. They had all these different components as they were doing these experiments. And so this was built in the late 80s and 90s. It actually still is there. It's been like taken ownership by a college, and it still has like 100,000 visitors a day. But here's what's interesting about the early research they did in the 90s inside of Biosphere 2, is that they realized when they planted trees, the trees grew in incredibly fast. They grew way faster inside of the biosphere than they did out in the wild. But the weirdest thing happened that they never saw coming. As the trees were approaching reproductive age, as they were beginning to produce seed, the limbs of the trees just started falling off. And then all the trees just fell over. Not just one, all the trees like they're like, "Man, this is incredible. Look at it grow." And then temper Here it comes. They all started falling down. And do you know what the problem was? They found that although they could imitate everything that they could think of with how our, our Earth biosphere worked, they'd never factored in wind. And because the trees never experienced wind, it caused them to be soft. It caused them to not strengthen like they were supposed to. And when they got to a certain height, they just fell down. As the commenter said, the lack of wind created trees with much softer wood than species that would be made in the wild. They grew more quickly than they did in the wild, but were harmed in the long run as a consequence. And the conclusion was, wind is necessary for creating strong trees. And I will put that up here, that strong wind equals strong trees, and strong trees get to stand tall. And I think for the last few weeks as we've been in this series, my desire has been to delicately address some of the difficulties of our faith, some of the areas that maybe you feel uncertain or unsure, or even maybe uneasy talking about. And and I feel like I'm just trying to open the door of the biosphere of the church and allow a little wind in. And just allow the wind to help strengthen us so that we can have some strength. So that we don't just fall down. I believe that when Christianity is oversold, and the difficulties of our faith are hidden from people when they're sheltered from the elements, then it's only a matter of time until their faith falls and they become my friend who left the faith. Last week, I shared that I have three boys at home. Uh, It's an exciting testosterone-filled home. My wife loves it. i got a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, and a two-year-old. The two-year-old is completely two. If you think of a two-year-old, that's him. Uh, The five-year-old I shared last week, my kindergartner, he's the one who asked me the burning question of his heart, how can I know if I'm Peter Parker? Uh, That was what he wanted to know last week. Um, This week, I want to talk about my seven-year-old, my second grader. His name is Max. And Max Max is a lot of fun, and he's recently gotten into Legos. And, And Legos have changed a lot since I was a kid. When I was a kid, you just had all these random pieces that didn't mean anything. And so all you built was walls. That's all you knew how to build. You couldn't put up a roof on it because you didn't know how to do that. It was just walls. <laughs> and, but now, like, Lego sets are, like, very intricate, and you can buy, like, Lego sets and build specific things. And so we recently got Max one. I got a picture of him here. This is with a 672-piece set to build a race car. And I'm like, this is crazy. And this is like for ages nine and up. So I guess he's just a little overachiever. Uh, He just wanted to do it. And and here's the incredible thing is it has an instruction book and it has all the pieces and they come in all these little bags. And so you have to kind of arrange them. You have to make sure you put the right piece in the right spot. And you got to study that instruction book because it don't got words. It's just got pictures and you got to be able to put it together. And so for seven years old, I mean, he would sit there at that table for hours piece after piece, getting it just right. And he said, Dad, I just need your help with one thing. He says, I don't want to put the stickers on crooked. He says, I'm doing good work here, but it's got to look good when it's done. So if you can help me put the stickers on. So outside of the stickers, he put this whole thing together, but there was two times that he got frustrated. And he said, Dad, he called, Dad, hey, can you come help me in here? And so I'd come in there and he'd have the car and he'd be looking at it. And he's like, I don't know what happened, but I'm trying to do step 73 here, but I can't do it on this car. It's not working. And so I was like, I'm glad that you called me. This is man work here. I've got you. Good thing you didn't call your mother, because she would be texting me. And so I was right there. I was like, here we go, buddy. And what I found is that as he was constructing this, and as he was being very diligent to follow all the rules, as he was being very specific, really trying to pay attention, he had still put something in the car incorrectly. And so I saw oh, that piece is wrong. And so then I took his instruction book and I began to turn page after page after page to say how far back was this piece put in. And we then had to go through a process of deconstruction. We had to take some pieces off. We had to set them aside so that we could get back to this foundational piece and move it over one set of blocks. It was just, it was off that much. Just, that was it. And then we got to reconstruct and we rebuilt it so that it was strong and could finish the design that the creator had for it. When I think about the process that we went through of construction and deconstruction and reconstruction, I think that when it comes to like our Christian beliefs, what we believe, we go through that same process. Um, Some of you don't even maybe remember uh, your construction process. For me, um, I grew up in the house of a pastor, so from the time I was born, my belief about God, it was being formed. Um, It was Bible stories as a kid. It was nighttime prayers. It was going to Sunday school. It was conversations about what was happening. I was being formed in how I viewed the world and my beliefs from a very young age. For others of you, you weren't necessarily church kids. Maybe that construction began as uh, maybe a person in college, as you heard about Jesus and you were intrigued and you began to read books and you began to investigate. All of us have a construction story. The problem is is that we live in a broken world, right? And we, no matter how good of a job we try to do, are like Max. And there's some things that we probably put in that aren't 100% correct, right? And, And maybe... Part of it's our fault. Maybe it was how we heard something and what we perceived of it. Maybe the people that we were listening to didn't quite have it right, and so that was part of it. Uh, no blame. We just sometimes ended up with some things that weren't true. And so we needed to go through a process if we're smart. If if you've embraced something that's wrong, you kind of need to unlearn it. Right? You don't want to keep hanging on to that. That's not going to be helpful for you. So we got to go through a process of unlearning some things. And so that's what we would call deconstruction of our beliefs that we need to find out what's off so that we can then reconstruct it to be all that it's supposed to be. That's healthy. The problem is, is that when we start to talk about deconstruction, especially in our world today, that's almost like a bad word. It's like, oh no, don't deconstruct uh, because it seems as though you're going the wrong direction. And I'll be honest, some people have deconstructed their belief so far that it's pretty much been demolished. They took it back to ground zero, Can you imagine if I told Max that we're going to take every piece of his car completely apart and he has to start all the way over? Oh, he would not be a happy child. The Bible talks about not exasperating a child. That would have been exasperating a child. I don't even know what that word really means, but I feel like that fits. I would have frustrated him to no end, and we would have unnecessarily torn things apart that we didn't need to. I think that sometimes people... um, as they approach deconstruction, they get a little nervous. Joe Terrell says this. He says that while everyone who deconverts, actually people who deny the faith and walk away from Christianity and say, I don't believe that anymore, probably deconstructed first, not everyone who deconstructs, deconverts. And, and so we do need to be careful as we go down this path of unlearning some things, but we need to realize that the degree to which someone deconstructs can vary widely from person to person. Depending on your construction, depending on where you grew up, it could be wildly different. If you grew up in a highly Pentecostal, charismatic church background, or you grew up in a culturally Catholic background, that deconstruction process is going to look a little bit different, right? It's going to have different nuances. So everybody's journey is a little bit different. There's no one-size-fits-all deconstruction, but we do need to talk about how does all of this work, and this is what I want to spend the rest of our time with. And here's the big question, what triggers doubt in you? What triggers doubt? We all have a level of doubt for honest, but what triggers it? I think that we can take it down to three primary reasons. So Let's go ahead and put these slides up here. What causes the doubt? There's three things. Number one at the very top there is one I would call church hurt. What has triggered some doubt in some people? Why have, why have people I've known and grown up with in church, why did they leave the church? They got hurt. Maybe intentionally, maybe unintentionally. Nonetheless, There's some church hurt there. And this is where we can put in things like hypocrisy. Oh, man, I saw them say one thing and live another. Oh, I saw the pastor talking about how he shouldn't drink. Then I saw him drunk on Friday night. Oh, I saw how he treated his family. I saw how this person did this. I see that there was a duplicity. I see that their faith was just something on Sunday mornings and not their real life, and I don't want to have anything to do with it. That church hurt, the abuse of power, the skepticism of authority, all of those things caused them to say, you know what? Question mark, I'm not so sure about this faith anymore. That example, if that's what this is supposed to be, I don't know about this anymore. And that church hurt, however your personal story is that fits in there, has caused some people to come to a place of doubting and say, I don't know, if God's so good, then how come his followers can be so bad? I don't know if I want to have anything to do with that. And then just take our culture today, and you hear about all of the people who fall fallen from, the faith, people who have rejected the faith, pastors who have fallen, people who are now in jail because of what they did sexually that was improper and immoral and they deserve what they're getting. But, but all of that creates some church hurt and it leads to this place of, I'm just not really sure if I want to embrace that. The second thing that also comes here is, is an intellectual trigger of doubt. This is where our mind is having a hard time getting wrapped around certain ideas. I'm not so sure I can really embrace that and believe that. Some questions that might come from this, you know, how, how could God allow bad things to happen to good people? I don't know if I can get my head around that. How, how can a good God allow so much pain and suffering in our world? How can I really even know that Jesus rose from the grave? this whole thing's predicated on his resurrection, how can I know that to be true? If we're basing our life on what the Bible says, how can I trust the Bible to be authoritative? These are hard intellectual questions. How could a loving God send people to hell? I just don't know if I can follow this Jesus. How, How can we reconcile intellectually a good God with such a bad world? And I think often when these types of questions are asked, we do need to be careful because when this doubt has taken root in us, we can often become like the disciple Thomas, who we talked about last week, who, if you remember the story, Jesus had died, he came back to life, and then he showed up to his disciples, Thomas happened to not be in the meeting, and when he came back around, all his buddies were like, you missed it, he's alive, and he's like, whatever, I don't believe you. The only way that I'll believe you is if I can put my hands in the nail prints and put my hand in his If I can do that, then I will believe. What Thomas did is what a lot of us do is that we actually begin to put parameters around God and what he must do in order for us to believe in him. For Thomas, he better show up and let me touch him, otherwise I'm out. And I think we do the same thing today. You know, I could never worship a god, who allows bad things to happen to good people. I could never believe in a God who sends people to hell. I could never trust a God who doesn't affirm someone's sexual preference. I could never because God doesn't fit my view. But here's the problem. There is only one God. And you're not called to love the God that you want you're just simply called to love the God who is. And 1 Timothy 2.5 it says, For there is just one God and one mediator between God and men, and that is Christ Jesus. But these intellectual hurdles, these hard questions that need to be asked, are sometimes the thing that causes someone to doubt and causes them to not be so sure if they want to embrace Christianity. So we have church hurt. We have this intellectual idea of, of, I'm not so sure. But the third one is moral. Moral. Sometimes faith is sold as as like self-enhancement. And the problem with God being here to help me is that somehow or another, uh, we will have to, God just has too much to say about what we do with our bodies for us to believe that it's all about us. He has certain things that he wants for us that's good for us. Like, his rules are boundaries for our safety. So when we begin to talk about morals, okay, that lead to doubt, what we're talking about is ethics. Ethics is just really what's right and what's wrong. We're talking about our behavior, and that's going to include sexuality, selfishness, and kingship. And for the sake of time, and maybe this is an overgeneralization, but when it comes to people that I know who've walked away from the faith, I mean, I know people who've left the faith, like they deny Jesus because of church hurt. I know people who are like, I don't know if I can embrace the resurrection. And so I'm not going to embrace Christianity. There's the intellectual. But the majority of people that I know, it's not those top two. The majority, I mean vast majority, is moral. And if I had to like sum it all the way down, and this is extreme, they want to have sex with who they want to have sex with. And I don't think God's happy if I want to do what I want to do, but God says that I shouldn't do that. And so I have this question mark. Is that what God really said? I got doubt. Uh, If God's really a good God, why wouldn't he want me to have the pleasure that I want? If God's love, then how come he doesn't embrace my version of love? And all of these doubts begin from a moral point of view. It's not so much the intellectual. It didn't start there. It started with Moral. And there's a fix that we have to have, right? So, like, when we end up in this center circle of doubt, like, there's two ways that we go with this. Number one, we can just be apathetic with the doubt. That's what a lot of people do. It's like, I got questions, but, you know, I'm too lazy to find out. Like, I care, but I just don't care that much. And so they just walk around, and they're cynical. They're skeptical. They're just, they're not not in. They're not out. They're just, whatever. But what I'm hoping for you all is that you won't be apathetic. Instead, how about we be exhibiting a little bit of tenacity? Like, I'm going to get a grip on this, and I'm going to move forward, I'm going to get some resolution, I'm going to face the doubt head on, and I'm going to figure this out. And so when we have some tenacity and you begin to pursue an answer to your doubts, I think one of two things tends to happen. Number one, you're either going to realize that what you were originally taught is correct. You went back to the instruction book, you're trying to find the missing piece, and you found, oh, it's actually in here correctly. I've just misunderstood, and there will be a process of internalizing what you believe. Okay, that's, that's a good option, right? Instead of it just being what I was taught and what somebody else believes, it's now mine. I've gone through the process of making it mine. There's ownership. But if you don't internalize it, what you will tend to do is what we did with the Legos. You will deconstruct what you believe and then reconstruct. And That's a kind of dangerous place to be because depending on... That process, you can reconstruct to another wrong conclusion or you can reconstruct to a better conclusion, right? But there's a process that we're going to go through of unlearning and relearning. And when we realize that we're all pretty selfish, we have to realize our tendency and our reconstruction is to make it all about me and not be objective to the truth. And so if we're going to approach deconstruction reconstruction correctly, and we're going to pursue truth, then we need to deal with the root of our doubt. And I think I put it up here this way, that your pursuit of truth will be hindered unless you address the root of your doubt. So instead of just addressing the doubt, we have to actually go back and address the root, which is the church hurt the intellectual issues or the moral issues. And so let me just tell you the three things that you need to do in order to hear the voice of God, in order for you to move forward into the fullness of truth that God has for you. If you're going to take care of church hurt, you're going to have to learn to forgive. See, if you hang on to unforgiveness, you're never going to be able to move forward. I'm going to have to Forgive. I'm going to have to let that go. I'm going to have to learn to move on. I'm going to have to learn to not just be a victim to my past. I'm going to have to learn how to move forward. And so, if you can't, you're never going to reconstruct properly. If you want to move in the right way, you're going to have to forgive whatever happened. And you're going to have to then begin to move on in the grace and the power of God. Number two, you got some intellectual stuff. You're going to have to get rid of pride if you want to move forward. If you think you're the smartest person in the room, you're never going to have a very good conclusion. You're going to have to exhibit humility because God resists the proud but draws near to the humble. So if you want God to be with you as you reconstruct, you got to get rid of that pride in which you think that you're the big deal and I'm smarter than everybody else and I know more and I'm I'm superior. No, no, there's no place for that if we're going to reconstruct correctly. And finally, if you've got some moral issues, You've done things that violate whatever God might ask of you and you want to continue to do that? Here's the issue. It's not so much, well, I'll just stop sinning this way. No, the issue is selfishness. You want to do what you want to do. And if you want to reconstruct, you're going to still reconstruct in order to please you. So you're going to have to learn how to deny yourself, get rid of selfishness, humbly move forward, free from your past. And that's the moment that God's Holy Spirit will meet you. That's the moment that you will have a divine revelation of who God is. that you, it, it surpasses your understanding. Your mind can't even quite get it. It's the moment that God encounters you and you encounter him. And it's in that moment that you'll see him. And I believe that when you see him without that burdening you, you'll never be the same. And that's where I'm at. Sure. Have I got some church hurt? Yeah can't grow up as a pastor's kid and not have some of that. Did I get some intellectual doubt? Yeah. I went to Bible college. They raised lots of questions. Have I been morally pure my whole life? No. But, but I'm so convinced that there's a God. That I've been willing to forgive those who've hurt me. To realize I don't got it all. And that I messed up. And in that moment, I met Jesus. And I've never been the same. And when new church hurt comes, and new questions come, and I screw up, I'm so thankful that God still loves me. And my heart is to please him. And I'm constantly forgiving. I'm constantly humbling myself. I'm constantly saying, God, forgive me. I never want to sin against you that way. I never want to sin against others that way. God, I want what you have. So for you to know, I believe that there's a place that you can come to in which you'll never walk away. You'll push in. You'll never be the same. And it's not your effort that's keeping you in. It's because God is God. And you have seen him as he is. He challenges us in the Bible. He says, taste and see that I am good. And if you've never tasted and seen, man, today could be your day. Will you forgive? Whatever's happened in your past, can you let that go? Can you say, God, forgive me for hanging on to that. Forgive me for letting that get in the way. God, I forgive that person that hurt me. I forgive that situation. God, I want to move forward. Man, you got freedom that's available to you. you got intellectual doubt. Man, push into community. We all got some questions. We may not have all the answers, but I believe that God's answered every question that we need to have answered. And I'll trust him with the rest. And one day I'll see him, I'll be like, I got some questions. He'll be like, I got some answers. <laughs> and then we got eternity to figure it out. And morally, man, when we sin morally, man, it hurts us more than it hurts anybody else. And we got to stop excusing our sin. Oh, it's just normal. Everybody is, I don't know. Well, if anybody's in my situation, no, no, no more excuses. I'm going to be all in. It's in those moments I believe that God is with you. If you would, would you bow your heads with me? God, I thank you so much for your, your patience with us. God, I thank you so much that you love us, that even when we've rejected you, even when we walked away from you, even when we've done what we want to do, God, that somehow or another you're still in love with us and you want what's best for us. You're not mad at us. You're not irritated with us. You just recognize we're like lost sheep, who are in need of a shepherd. And so, God, as we're in this moment, in this space right now, God, I believe that your Holy Spirit has spoken to every person in some way. I don't know the specifics of everybody's story, but, God, I know that you are able to do all things. And I believe each person individually in this place has received a message from you. Maybe it's to forgive. Maybe it's to humble themselves. Maybe it's to re-engage in community. Maybe it's to change and to repent and to no longer sin in the way that they've been justifying. God, whatever it may be, I pray, Lord, that our heart would be like David's in Psalm 51. And may this be our prayer today. God, create in me a pure heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Lord, do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Lord, may that be our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For more information, please visit newlifekc.com.